announcement to you this morning that there is no opportunity without opposition. That for every door God opens, there's going to be somebody that's opposing you. For every level, there's a new devil. Because there is no such thing as opportunity without opposition. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Ministry and or doing good can potentially be hazardous to your health. Not just to your physical health, but to one's emotional and spiritual health. Not only can ministry and doing good be hazardous to your health, but it can potentially give you heart trouble. Somebody say heart trouble. Not heart trouble as we know it, but the internal pain that is inflicted upon us by life's casualties. For who among us has not found ourselves demotivated and deflated when our good is misconstrued as evil? Who among us has not threatened to walk away from serving, from some worthy goal, some project, some enterprise, some dream, some vision, when we have been unfairly or falsely accused? What do we do when our motives are questioned, when our words are twisted, when we are ostracized for our views, when we are deliberately misquoted or the victim of a whispering campaign? Most of us have walked at least one mile in these shoes. For on any given day, if we listen closely any day of the week, we will hear a friend, a colleague, a church member, a family member, or even a news reporter casting suspicion on the motives of someone who is doing good. They imply that others who seem to be doing good are only pretending to do good when in fact they have their own hidden agendas. Somebody said hidden agendas. Or they have a selfish ulterior motive. And while I must admit that there are many people in the world with hidden agendas and with selfish ulterior motives, it does not mean that everyone who makes an attempt to do good has something up his or her sleeve. And it also does not mean that every person who attempts to do good is doing it from selfish or ulterior motives. Kent Keith, the author I referenced on last week, addresses this in his second paradoxical commandments. I said to you on last week that to be a Christian is to live a paradoxical life. That to be a Christian is to do more than come here on Sunday morning and have a great praise party, which I have no problem with a great praise party. But being in God's presence ought not just change how we think, it also change how we live. Which suggests that if we're going to really be Christ's followers, if we're really going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus, if we're going to live, Lord help me, under the rule and reign of God, it means that we must embrace a paradoxical life. Now I know that for many of us this may be a challenge because we have gotten custom, accustomed to just being good churchgoers. But if we're going to really impact the world, if we're going to transform this present world into the kingdom of God, it means that those who are Christ followers must embrace a paradoxical life. Kent Keith addresses these paradoxical commandments in his book, Anyway, 
paradoxical commandments for those that want to make a life or live a life of making a difference. And his second paradoxical commandment says, if you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives, but do good anyway. Look at somebody. Say, I know somebody going to say something, but I'm going to do good anyway. What's important for us is not what people say, but what we do when they do say something. I need to tell you this morning, if we're going to live, as I talked about last week, useful, constructive lives, if we are going to have any measure of influence for Jesus' sake in this life, and how many of you want to really have some influence for Jesus' sake? How many of you really want to be used by God to influence the world and to transform the world into the kingdom of God? How many of you really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If we're going to do anything for Jesus' sake, if we're going to have a measure of success in life, we must be prepared to remain focused in the face of those who say that our motives are anything but good. We must be prepared to remain focused in the face of criticism and false accusations. And the question this morning is not necessarily for people that ain't trying. This question is for folk that's trying and frustrated. This question is for people who are trying and who are saying, I can't do nothing right. This question is for people who are saying, I'm dogged if I do and I'm dogged if I don't. This question is for people who have made a decision that you really want to impact the world, but you're frustrated because you get distracted by what people say. I'm coming to tell you this morning that you need an Anthony Hamilton anointing that says no matter what the people say. Y'all ain't talking to me. I knew I'd wake you up when I started talking about Anthony Hamilton. Anthony Hamilton said, no matter what the people say, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm here to tell you that no matter what the people say, you got to make up your mind if you're going to transform the world and live for God that you got to do good anyway. For one of the greatest tests of greatness, and everybody wants to be great. Everybody wants to be a wonder. Everybody wants to lead. Everybody wants to lead the parade. But one of the greatest tests of greatness, of faithfulness, of serving, of leadership, of anyone who makes a lasting impact is how we handle the moments when we are criticized or falsely accused. You're going to deal with them on your job. Y'all ain't talking to me. You're going to deal with them at church. You're going to deal with them in your sorority. Y'all won't talk to me today. You're going to deal with them in your circles, in your family, with even within your circles of friendship. There are webs of relationship. And wherever there are webs of relationships, there are dynamics that dictate and govern those relationships. And I need to just talk to the people that are destined for greatness. I need to talk to the people that are on their way somewhere. I need to talk to the people that are in process of becoming something great. I need to talk to the people who are in the process of having shaping destiny. One of the test of greatness if you're going to be in leadership if you're going to serve if you're going to impact the kingdom if you're going to be responsible for others if you're going to make a lasting impact we must learn how to handle those moments when we are criticized and falsely accused anyone who has ever made a difference anyone who has ever impacted the world anyone who has ever earned the title of world changer will tell you that criticism and false accusations are part of the job description. People are gonna talk no matter what you do. Even when you try to do good. 
There is no such thing, don't miss this, as opportunity without opposition. Perhaps that's why Paul says that on one occasion, a great door of opportunity stands wide open, but with that door, there come many adversaries. May I make an announcement to you this morning? That there is no opportunity without opposition. That for every door God opens, there's going to be somebody that's opposing you. For every level, there's a new devil. And even if there's not a new devil, it's a new level, the same devil, but same tricks. New tricks. Because there is no such thing as opportunity without opposition. If you're going to serve and lead, which, which every Christian ought to be doing anyway. In fact, if you're going to live and make any kind of valuable contribution, you must be ready to be criticized and accused of selfish motives. Shirley Prince used to say to me all the time, Rhody, folk will accuse you of doing what they would do if they were in your shoes. Isn't it interesting to you how folk can always determine what you got up your sleeve? When half the time you're not even thinking about the things that they are thinking about. But what Pastor Prince said was awfully true. People will often accuse us of being or doing the same thing that they would do if they were in our shoes. I shall never forget when I was a DJ for 1340 WLOK, a family tradition. And on Saturdays, I would be spinning records, and we used to have this uh, promotion called Lucky Bucks. Some of you probably remember it. And the way Lucky Bucks worked was that they would call out these numbers, uh, the serial numbers, on a dollar bill. And anybody that had the serial number on the dollar bill won $1,000. Well, bless God, it just so turned out that this particular day, Ain't Cherry, Pastor Press was coming by the radio station. And bless God, when they called off the number for the lucky bucks, she won the $1,000. Well, I don't need to tell you what happened with the rest of the conversation. Everybody was sure we had somehow colluded so that she could win the $1,000. Nobody really wanted to believe that she honestly and fairly won the $1,000. And I was so perplexed by it because we were just as shocked as she was. She came by to talk and listen to music, and while she was there, we called out some numbers, and she won. And I was talking to her and saying, I can't believe that folk would think that we would even cheat like that. She said, Rhody, folk will accuse you of doing what they would do if they were in your shoes. Who am I talking to today that has tried to do good and folk have always have assumed that you were up to something? that you had an agenda. I know I ain't talking to all of y'all, but there are about a handful of you in here that have tried to make a difference. You tried to help. You tried to be a blessing. But because of the insecurity of other people and because of the fear of other people being ups, outshined by you, they have a tendency to accuse you of doing good for the wrong reason. But Bill Cosby said this. He said, I don't know the key to success. But the key to failure is trying to please everybody. Problem with a lot of us is that for some reason, we often feel pressured to try to please everybody. And some of you are nodding your head in agreement with me. 
because you've been discouraged by criticism and false accusations. Some of you have real thick skin, so this message doesn't even appeal to you. You are saying to yourself, folk need to just grow up and get over it. But the truth of the matter is what folks say ain't true. Sticks and stones don't break your bones, but words do hurt you. And anybody that's ever tried to do something right and tried to step out and do something and take the risk, because many people don't know what it takes for some of us to just try in the first place. Y'all won't talk to me. So it seems that for some of you, you have taken a sideline. You've sat on the side of the road because you've been discouraged by criticism and false accusation. Because it seems that every time you step out and try to do something, somebody got something to say. But can I stop and make an announcement and tell you, Negroes always going to have something to say. And when I say Negroes, I ain't just talking about black folk. I'm talking about people in general. It is human nature that you can be minding your own black business and somebody gonna always have something to say. You didn't ask them for anything, you didn't take anything from them, but somebody's gonna always have something to say. And some of you, who am I talking to in here, have possibly stepped back from active ministry because you're tired of the heat. But I'm on assignment today to tell you that you gotta keep doing good anyway in spite of what colored folks say. Touch your neighbor and say, you got to put folk on the mute button. You got to do good anyway. Now, I know some of us didn't know what we were signing up for because we find it hard to believe that people would be upset by doing good. You know, you would think that people would be excited that folk have a vision to do good. You didn't think it would be this difficult to try to help. You didn't think it would cause this disruption. But I want to tell you this morning that old brother Nehemiah, Somebody say, oh, brother Nehemiah. Oh, brother Nehemiah understands our pain. And in today's text, Nehemiah shows us how to do good anyway, despite criticism and false accusations. Now, somebody's saying, well, Pastor Stewart, why is this so important? The reason why it's important is because if any good ever gets done, it's going to be done by people like me and you. And if all of us get discouraged and take a seat and sit on the sidelines, you know that we're looking at a world of anarchy and violence and foolishness. So God is calling us to do good anyway, despite false accusations and despite criticism. Nehemiah had a major vision from God. A major vision to do good for the kingdom. He had first-hand experience in dealing with critics and false accusations. Nehemiah is introduced to us as a boy from the hood, a guy with a good government job, a government official when he finds out that after the Jews have returned from exile to Jerusalem, that the walls of the city are up in ruins. Nehemiah hears about the poor condition of Jerusalem and he boldly asks the king because the Bible said that he was the king's cupbearer. He had access to the king. He went to God in prayer because he was discouraged to hear that the walls of his people were in disarray. And he went to the king after praying to God and asked the king if the king would give him permission to return to his people and rebuild the walls. Now let me just say on the outset that this was quite an ambitious undertaking. But how many of you know that when you feel called of God to do something, you're willing to take on anything? That's why some people are looking at some of y'all upside your head because they don't understand how you would be willing to take on the assignment that you've taken on. There are people that are looking at some of you right now saying, if it was me, I sure wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the assignment. But at the end of the day, when you feel called of God, can I put a pen right there and talk about called of God? There's a difference between being 
called of God and just doing a job. Y'all ain't saying nothing. When you feel called of God to do something. See, when you called of God. I don't know why this bird flew in the room, but I guess I need to just stay here for a minute. See, some of you ain't called to do nothing. This reason why this ain't upsetting you. This is the reason why this message is not resonating with you. Because you don't necessarily feel called to do nothing. But when you really call to do something, and when you call to do something, it means that you would do it even if folk wasn't paying you. It means that you would do it even if, even, even, if, even if you don't get rewarded for it because there's something down on the inside that's constraining you to do this. Some of us are called to certain ministries. And when you are called, do I have any help in here? When you feel called to something, Deacon Nails feels called to work with young people. Even if she wasn't a school teacher, she'd be helping boys. It's because she feels called to help young people. There are people in here, Minister Mona is called to prayer. I, I, I mean, she will pray if, if you walk past her and you stand in her presence long enough, she's going to grab you and start praying. And you better not be hungry because she might pray for about 30 minutes. Because she called, y'all ain't saying nothing. She is called to prayer. Chuck is called to pastoral care. Pastor Fuller is called to the ministry of pastoral care. Chuck will come see your grandmama. He come see your aunt. He come see your puppy. He come see your parrot. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Because when you call, when you call to something, you are willing to undertake and undertake assignments that other people would consider as impossible. Nehemiah felt called to go back and rebuild Jerusalem's walls. So he obtains permission from, from the king. He goes and surveys the situation. He gets buy-in from the people. He convinces them that God's name is at stake. See, there ought to be some things that ought to just upset you, not because your name is at stake, but because God's name is at stake. There ought to be some things that, ought, that we ought not be able to rest, not because our reputation is at stake, but because God's reputation is at stake. There ought to be some things that ought to just trouble us in our spirit, not because we are being necessarily affected, but because God's reputation is at stake. Nehemiah got buy-in from the people. He said, y'all, look at here. We can't, we can't leave these walls like this. He said, not only that, I, we are vulnerable without our walls. These are our symbols of protection. We cannot allow these walls to remain burned. We are in the process of rebuilding our lives, and the walls were one of the things that kept us from being vulnerable to the enemy. He was able to convince the people of God to begin rebuilding the walls. But one thing that you need to know about Nehemiah was that Nehemiah wasn't just interested in reconstructing city walls that had remained in ruin for over a hundred years. His real interest was to recreate a sacred space within those walls. And after the walls were rebuilt, his goals became clear. He reestablished a government led by officers and appointed by the people. He cared for the economy of the city. He instructed the people in the Torah through public readings of the Torah. He restored the practices of honoring the Sabbath and the holy festivals. And he called the people to support the temple with their tithes. He even led the people in a new covenant with God and in their city. In other words, Nehemiah's real goal was not just to rebuild walls, but to build community. And the walls were a necessary means to an end. 
So Nehemiah succeeds in motivating the people to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. And you would think that because he has succeeded in getting these people to do something that is going to contribute to their welfare, that people would have been excited about it. But the Bible tells us that there were external voices that were internalized in the hearts of the people. The Bible says Sanballat, the governor of Samaria to the north, and Tobiah, the governor of Ammon to the east, were threatened by the strengthening of Jerusalem. Can I spit a pen right there and say there are some people who have a vested interest in you remaining weak and vulnerable. There are some people that are satisfied as long as you ain't trying to rebuild nothing, as long as you ain't trying to do nothing, as long as you are living a life that is aimless, that is without purpose, as long as you don't have a vision for the promised land, there are certain people that, that are strengthened by your weakness. But as soon as you come to your senses, as soon as you decide to make a change, as soon, y'all ain't saying nothing to me, as soon as you decide that you want to make a better life for yourself, there are Tobias and and send ballots that will come against you and not only come against you but call your motives into question notice what the text says send ballot said what these feeble jews think they're doing he said well they revived the stones up out of heaps of rubbish and then tobiah joined in you just read the text he said even a fox going on that wall would break it in i'm telling you ain't nothing like a hater you all look at somebody say ain't nothing like a hater there's nothing like somebody that resents your progress. There's nothing like somebody that will use psychological manipulation, ain't Ruby, and say ugly words to distract you from your goal. Isn't it amazing that when you was drunk as a skunk, isn't it amazing that when you were stumbling in your own vomit? Isn't it amazing when you were broke as the Ten Commandments and so broke you couldn't pay attention, couldn't see your left from your right, that nobody had anything to say? But as soon as you decided you were going to go back to school, as soon as you decided you were going to invest in somebody else's life, as soon as you decided, y'all ain't saying nothing to me, you were going to make a difference, somebody had something to say. Can I get some help in here and look at your neighbor and say, Negroes always got something to say. Ain't nothing like a hater. But can I tell you, use your haters for your elevator. Use your haters. You feel me, don't you? Use your haters for your mo. Ain't nothing like somebody that is resents spiritual progress. There's nothing like people who will say words. And even though they say, as I said earlier, that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt us. That ain't true. Look at your neighbor and say, words do hurt. Some of us still remember words folks said about us. Words from a first grade teacher. Words from a coach. Words from a guidance counselor. I can't get no help in here this morning. Words do hurt. Some of the cliches that we adopt as truth are nothing more than mythology and lies that we use to absorb the pain. But the reality of the word, the reality is, is that sometimes we never really recover from certain words. Some of us still haven't recovered from being told you're not smart enough. You're not cute enough. You're not the pretty one. You're not good as your brother. You're going to fail. You're just like your no good dad. I never loved you. These words leave wounds in our soul. And let me just make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen, that whenever you are in the process of building anything, a legacy, a vision, a ministry, a business, you can get ready for Sanballat and Tobiah to show up. I wish I had somebody that has had an encounter with Sanballat and Tobiah. Do I have anybody here that has had Tobiah and Sabalit to show up? 
Oh, I wish I had time to talk to you about all the times St. Ballard and Shabaya, Tobiah has shown up in my life, in my ministry, in my personal career, in my professional life. Folk always got something to say. Here's the thing that blows me away. You ain't talking to them. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Look at somebody say, but I wasn't talking to you. But they always got something to say. Because whenever you're trying to build something or rebuild something, first of all, let's start with rebuilding your life. Y'all won't talk to me. Let's start with you just trying to get your life straight. Get yourself together. Finally got myself together. Ain't nobody saying nothing. Now I know just who I am. Isn't it interesting how when you didn't have nothing, when you was broke, when you couldn't pay for nothing, when you couldn't buy your own lunch, when you was bombing off everything, everybody else, you had friends, you had folk that were always around. But when you decided that you wanted to start building something, a legacy, a ministry, a life, or a business, Sandalit and Tobias will always show up. But old brother Nehemiah, somebody said old brother Nehemiah, shows us how to handle moments when we are falsely accused and criticized. Let me just make sure I'm not in here by myself. Anybody in here ever been falsely accused? Now, now I'm not talking about when you were wrong. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Touch your neighbor and say, she ain't talking about when you was guilty. I'm talking about when you were really trying to do the right thing. Come on, do I have any help over here? Anybody ever been lied on? I've been lied on, lied, cheated, talked about, mistreated. Okay, been viewed, scorned. Okay, okay, just want to see if you was in the house. I been up almost long as I got King Jesus. Okay, I just want to see if you was in the house. I just want to make sure I'm not in here by myself. Because there are people in here that are trying to do good. And even though you have a smile on your face, Smokey Robinson said the tears of a clown when there's no one around. People say I'm the life of... I tell a joker. Hey, don't mess with me. I'm feeling myself. So take a good look at my face. Come on, temptation. You see my smile looks sad. Okay. I just want to know if I'm in here by myself. Because so many times we come to church week after week, month after month, Sunday after Sunday, and we're dealing with these issues, not just in church, but on our jobs. Some of you are really trying to do your job well, but you work with people that don't want to do theirs. And because they don't want to do theirs, y'all ain't saying nothing. And don't mess around and get a promotion. Don't mess around and let the boss commend you. I ain't going to go there. That's another sermon for another day. But I'm just trying to make sure I'm not the only one in the house. I'm here to tell you that when you decide to start trying to do good, Sanballat and Tobiah detective times are going to show up because it is the nature of warfare. But can I tell you that Nehemiah, old brother Nehemiah, he shows us in this text how to handle it. First thing you do when you're falsely accused for trying to do good is to anticipate it. Somebody said anticipate it. Nehemiah 4 says, Sambalit was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He fell into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of the friends and the Samaritan officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? 
Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone would collapse if, a, if, if even a fox walked on top of it. From here we learn the first principle about trying to do good is to anticipate criticism. Look at somebody say anticipate it. You can guarantee that no matter what decision you make, no matter what action you take, somebody's going to criticize. Somebody's going to have something to say. It's just a fact. There's not a person in the Bible who did anything for God or in life that was not criticized. Matter of fact, we could talk about King. You know, this is the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, which was actually held on August 28, 1963. We got P. King's picture over our mantle right now. We locking arms singing, we shall overcome. Uh-huh. And we all singing, reciting his speech, I have a dream. But the truth of the matter is black folk were just as opposed to King 50 years ago as some of the white folk were that was, were fighting against him. There were people who said that he's stirring up trouble, that he's creating problems for us. But aren't you glad that King didn't bag down? Aren't you glad that King kept his focus? Aren't you glad that King kept pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God through Christ? Jesus? Look at President Obama. For some people, he can't do anything right. That's not to say that he is perfect. But if you listen to some people, he has not done anything right in his two terms in office, despite his many accomplishments. Health care reform. He passed the Stimulus Act. He ended the war in Iraq. He captured and eliminated Osama bin Laden. He turned around the U.S. auto industry. He created race to the top for education. He cracked down on proprietary schools. He passed the Fair Sentencing Act signed in 2010, which is legislation that, 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 that addresses or reduces the sentencing disparity between crack versus powder cocaine. Possession from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. He passed the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which closes the gap between men and women wages. But if you listen to his critics, if you listen to the folk that have issues with his leadership, the only thing they can say about him is that he's a welfare president and a dispenser of entitlement privileges. This is not to suggest that everything he's done is right, but it's an example that when you try to do good, there will always be somebody that will accuse you of ulterior and selfish motives, but look at your neighbor and say, but do good anyway. Why do you think people oppose you? Why is it that folk always got something to say when you try to do good? Why is it that people just can't be quiet and keep their opinions to themselves? The Bible said there's a time and a season for everything. And there's a time to speak and a time to keep silent. And some of you that was over 40 at almost 50 know that Muddy and them used to tell us, if you can't say nothing good, just don't say nothing at all. Just keep your black mouth shut. Why is it? That people always, why is it that we find ourselves being opposed? One of the reasons, and some of you need to get this, vision is easy to criticize. Because vision is intangible. Vision is not as substantial as what you can see. Nehemiah had a vision. And whenever you have a vision for your life, especially when you're talking to folk that don't have any vision, they're going to always have something to say. They're going to always criticize, and to make it worse, visions are difficult to defend against criticism because you don't have proof yet. 
All you got is a promise from God. I know I'm talking to somebody right now. And all you got is a preferred picture of what your future can be. I wonder is there anybody in here right now that can get excited about your preferred picture of what your future can be. Your preferred future of what you not just are, but of what you are becoming. Vision is difficult to defend against criticism. But the writer of the text said, write it down. Put it in big block letters. Because the vision is for an appointed time. I wish I had some Bible readers. But it shall speak and it cannot lie. Is there anybody in here that knows that though the vision tarry, it will surely come? Can I talk to some of you that's been dealing with dream killers? People that have been telling you you wasted your money on your education and you never find a job. People that are telling you that if they were you, they would just go on and forget about trying to go back to school. People that are telling you that your business will never flourish. Can I talk to the visionaries in the room? Can I talk to the people that have been impacted by vision killers and dream killers? Can I tell you that if God said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. And though it tarry, wait for it because it surely will come. Don't let your critics keep you from pursuing God's best dream for your life. You ought to high five somebody and say, God has a dream for my life. I wish I had somebody that could believe it. Do I have any dreamers in the house? Do I have any, anybody that believes that your best days are still in front of you? Do I have anybody here that can still believe that God is for you and not against you because he has not allowed your enemies to triumph over you? Matter of fact, why don't you just give God a big holler for what you've been able to accomplish in spite? Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations. Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer. <laughs>